Prince Remembered from The Current. Hi, it's Andrea Swenson. While making our documentary series, Prince, the story of 1999, I called up Roy Bennett. Roy is a lighting and stage designer. His work started with Prince around the Dirty Mind and Controversy era. He designed so many of these iconic looks from Prince's early tours, like 1999, like Purple Rain, Sign of the Times. And he has gone on to become a legend in the live concert industry. His current clients include Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, Grande and the Grammys. So here it is, my full conversation with Roy Bennett. My name is Leroy Bennett. Um, I was Prince's production designer, lighting designer, kind of co-creative director with him for his tours from 1980 to 94. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, well, 14 years, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a long time to, for a lot of people to work with Prince, I think. <laughs> yeah. In Prince years, it's probably closer to 40 or 50. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he reinvented himself at least eight times in yes. that span. <laughs> wow. Well, so I would love to pick up with any of your experience around the controversy tour era, because that's kind of when this box set begins. Okay. Um, could you, you know, describe for me a little bit of, you know, what it was like on that tour, and um, the time was an opener, so Prince had already started kind of spawning these these side projects. But what was he like as an artist in the, in that period? When I first started, it was it was a little bit awkward at first. Once we got over the first five day hump of working with him, Prince and I established a very close relationship, working relationship, and we spent a lot of time talking about just creatively how we're going to approach our shows. And Controversy Tour was the first time that I actually designed a stage set for him. I mean, the first time I worked with him on the Dirty Mind, it was something was in existence already. So at that point, I was just the lighting designer. So Controversy was the first time I actually approached designing a stage set. We spent a lot of time of what we envisioned we were trying to portray in live sense. And I came up with the idea of Venetian blinds for the set because for me, they were very provocative. And because mm-hmm. I've always been one of those, as a designer, where I don't like to be obvious in what I'm trying to portray, but some it's more of an emotion and an abstract thing so people can take out of it whatever they want. Mm. So that was, for me at that time, Venetian blinds made you feel like you're in a bedroom. And, and and so that was that was the initial uh, thought on on that particular design. Yeah, and then it, that kind of went up a notch with the 1999 tour, right? Yes. Well, in 1999, we kept the same stage set, but uh, what I did was I augmented it uh, by automating the blinds so they can move, and also the original Venetian blinds were kind of a matte gray. Where then on 1999, I put uh, a mirror on the bottom side that would reflect all the floor lights and kind of because we didn't have moving lights at that time it was just a a way for me to and I didn't even know moving lights were coming down the Hmm. pike but it was for me a way to be able to automate and shift uh, the visual on stage because we also didn't have any LED screens or any video or anything so it was giving some kind of movement to the stage set in a very basic (laughs) basic way yeah I was talking to Bobby Z recently, and he said that he really saw you as kind of an additional member of the live band because you were so active in um, literally cueing, you know, the lights with your hands to go in time with his drums. 
And I was wondering if you could just kind of explain to me a little bit as someone that doesn't know a lot about lighting and, and stage design, like what were you actually doing during the shows? Well, for me, uh, music is a very visual thing to me. I feel it and I see it. My job at that point, it was a very natural thing for me to do. I never wanted to be on stage. I came from a very musical family, and they could all perform on stage. And stuff. I, I realized at a very early age that was not the thing I wanted to do. I have severe stage fright. Oh. I've kind of gotten a little bit better since those times. But what I was doing at, at, at that period, and I did that for up until 94, I actually operated the lights on every show that he did in those 14 years. And what that means is that I'm manually pushing buttons or faders or whatever, trying to emotionally portray or evoke the emotion of the music in a visual way. Uh, sometimes it was with the rhythm. Sometimes it was through the emotional side of the music and fading. And I never wanted to be mechanical about how I operated. I was very in tune with the music, and I was an extension, a visual extension of what was going on. Do you think it helped that you felt connected to Prince, that, you know, you had that kind of personal connection with him and that you could kind of move in step with him as he's moving around the stage and as the band's moving? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was very important that I did have that connection. I mean, I, I'm always moved by music, uh, but I had that connection with him. It, it was elevated even more. I had to pay a lot of attention to his movement on stage and his little hand signals and things so I could understand where we were at all times. So he would send you little hand signals? He had hand signals on stage. <laughs> oh, like what were some of them? Well, I mean, there were just certain things that he would, there were certain turnarounds in the music or hits or whatever uh, that he would signal the band with. There were certain things that he would hold fingers up, make a fist or whatever. They, they all meant something because he would improvise at times throughout the show in and, and certain songs. It was never given that it was going to be consistent. And right. So you had to be on your toes all the time. Wow. I'm picturing like a softball <laughs> coach or something like, okay, in this one. <laughs> yep, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Tell me a little bit about the review process um, that was developed by Prince of, um, you know, having the shows videotaped and then giving feedback each night. He would record every show. And then after the show, there was the show again in his suite in his hotel room where we'd all, the band and myself would all sit up there and, you know, go through the entire show. And Prince was a perfectionist and he wanted everything, everything done to that level. So we would spend a lot of time building a show, playing a show, reviewing the show. Wow, that's pretty intense. I mean, if you mess up, you know that you're going to have to live with that later. <laughs> you get called out, absolutely. <laughs> Something I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, you say Prince is a perfectionist. But then, you know, I'm hearing all these stories of him in the studio where he's basically working so fast he doesn't have time for perfection. You know, I think it was Susan Rogers once told me it was like he was a volcano erupting and she was just trying to run around and get pots and pans to catch the lava as it came out. <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, how would you explain that? You know, like he always had all these new ideas and was always moving forward, but then he did have this level of excellence that he expected out of everybody. Well, I think creatively when he's in the studio he was a volcano it was he believed that whatever came out was what's supposed to be mm. live wise was a different situation yeah because he had already gone through the process of 
blasting out whatever he was trying to do in the studio. Once that was established, then he would hone it in. I always felt that he was better live than he was on an album. Mm. Why do you say that? Because it was more refined? It was more refined. There was a lot more power to it. There was a lot more emotion to it. And it got deeper because he had time to digest what it was. That makes sense. Interesting. I know that you had a front row seat to watching Vanity Six form. <laughs> yes, I did. And I actually, <laughs> I got a chance to talk to Brenda, and she was telling me some of her early memories of joining you on the controversy tour. And I didn't realize one of her roles at first was to actually operate the video camera, which was pretty fascinating. But what do you recall about, you know, watching, you know, Prince already had the time, but then... Now he's got this new group, Vanity Six. Like, what did you think about it as you're watching that come together? Well, I was sitting in his dressing room one night just before a show, and Brenda was in there because not only did she do the operate the video camera, it was like because she was with me on tour, she just had jobs to keep herself busy. And she also took care of the wardrobe. So she was in the dressing room uh, while Prince and I were sitting and talking, and he was talking about this girl group at the time. They didn't actually have a name, but just said, I want to put a girl group together. And Brenda's behind me, and he turns around and looks at her and points and says, you're going to be one of the girls. <laughs> so he knew she could sing. And I think a lot of that was the reason why he chose her. He was also very much into including people that were close to him and around him in building these projects. I mean, at one point he even asked me to do one. I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. I do do a completely different job for you. So thanks, but no thanks. What was it going to be? It was, he wanted to make me a pop star. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I I guess he thought that. I had it in me, but it's like, I made it very clear that that wasn't the case. It really does seem, though, that he, well, I, you know, I've heard multiple people say he watched that movie, The Idol Maker, and that that kind of started this new era of maybe I could be, you know, this manager, Sven Gali kind of figure. But it really does seem like he was just like, maybe it could be you. Maybe it could be you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, totally. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's exactly how he was. And I had no ambition for that. And I'm glad <laughs> I didn't do it because I'm happy with what I do. How would you describe kind of the circle of you know people that are starting to form around Prince? Brenda described it as like the purple family. Um, but it does seem like he... Really, you know, once you were in the fold, you were kind of part of this kind of inner circle of his creative life. Oh, yeah. It was a family. Um, I mean, I had an awesome relationship with the time as well as the revolution, and they were family to me. And, you know, Vanity Six became another level of it. Vanity was a very interesting person. (laughs) Mm. But, you know, Brenda and Susan, they were obviously Brenda because she was my wife at the time. We were all very close, and, and it was like a factory, and we were always doing something. If I wasn't working with Prince and the time we're going out and doing shows, I was out with the guys. There was always something going on. Was it really competitive between the time and Prince, or was it more kind of for show that they played up that element of their dynamic? Oh, no, it wasn't a show. It was for real. <laughs> I mean, he, he created a monster and then couldn't deal with it. There was a lot of tension on 1999 tour between the two bands because Prince would, I mean, the time were amazing. They were full-on in-your-face funk band, you know, and they rocked it every single night. And he was watching from the side of the stage, and he could watch the, the reactions of the crowd, and it would wind him up. It was a good side to it and a very bad side to it. 
There was a couple of times when there was, well, there was one in particular I remember. I think we were in Detroit, I can't remember. And there was a major egg fight <laughs> where the revolution in the, and uh, basically started throwing eggs at the time. They, I, they, oh, they, no. they, well, they tied up Jesse Johnson at one point and just started pelting him with eggs. I mean, he freaked out. It was, it got all Tied good. him up? Yeah. <laughs> How do you tie up Jesse Johnson? <laughs> well, if there's enough people. I, 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 it might have been Chick was around the, the time the bodyguard, mm. and I think it might have been him that actually made that happen because he was a big guy. Wow. Yeah, but it was, it was an ugly scene. And it was eggs everywhere. It was ugly. <laughs> wow. Do you think in a way that kind of fueled Prince, though? Like, because he wanted to be better than them, right? He wanted to be the headliner and, and come out and kind of show them up. Yeah, but, I mean, the thing it was the time in Prince, the music was very different, even though it was his music. Right. He was more pop and rock with a bit of funk in it. They were full-on funk. Right. So I am curious to know if you um, recall the audience kind of changing as the 1999 tour rolled out when the album came out, but it wasn't really until that next spring that the uh, singles were, you know, breaking into the top 10 and Prince was on MTV and becoming more of like this mainstream star. Did you notice like a change in the dynamic as that was happening? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was becoming more white. Mm-hmm. There were people influenced by his fashion, men and women. So they were. It, it was, became more of a, a branding of who he was, not just musically, but in live performance-wise, but also in his fashion sense. And so that was interesting to watch happen. Like people would literally dress like him? Well, they would, not maybe not fully, but there were things, elements about what he would wear, like his trench coat or whatever. I mean, and also, the, the trench coat evolved from what it was in the Dirty Mind days where it was more punk, where it became a little bit more glam. And right. you could see all of that start and evolve even in the audience dress sense. Huh. And well, cool. and then also when the, well, the girls, uh, Vanity Six, in their lingerie, you'd, women would show up in their lingerie. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Have you gotten a chance to dig into these live recordings that are in the box set yet? There's two shows. One is the live recording of December 2nd, 1982 in Detroit, which there was a... It's incredible to think about. There were six shows in Detroit on the 1999 tour, and this is, I think, the fifth of six and then there's um, later that month, December 29th, 82, there's actually the video of Houston. So I was just curious if you had any memories specific to either of those performances. I know people have talked a lot about Prince's connection to Detroit, that there was just like a really big fan base for him there. Um, but just any memories that come back thinking about those. Detroit will always stand out in my mind as far as a place that he was a hero in. I mean, he was a hero in a lot of places, but Detroit was a huge fan city. I would say he was accepted there first before any place else. They all mm. uh, they were big supporters of him. Uh, there was a DJ, and I blank him out, but he was very... Oh, the elect- electrifying mojo? Yeah, he was awesome. I mean, his musical sense and what he... It was very different. I mean, he totally... He got Prince. I mean, he was into electronic music at the time. He was into R&B, funk, punk, everything. Those were all the things that Prince was about. Yeah. And, you know, Mojo was a a big DJ in Detroit. 
And so that obviously helped expose Prince to the Detroit audience. Yeah, for sure. I forgot that we did that many shows in 1999 in Detroit. But, you know, we also we started the Purple Rain Tour in Detroit. So, mm. so it was that, that was our town. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, for me to remember the shows exactly city to city, that's that that's a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even imagine <laughs> what your memories must be like. Well, one thing that's kind of cute about the Houston show is it's the first show back after Christmas. And Prince actually says a couple times, Merry Christmas, Houston. I thought that was kind of sweet. <laughs> he had his cute moments. Yes. <laughs> well, another thing that's cool listening to the live recordings is that you get to hear, you know, the songs obviously get drawn out into these jams. And then Prince has so much interaction with the audience. There's like moments where there's call and response kind of moments and he's kind of egging people on. And at one point, I think he says like, where are all my nasty people at? You know, and everyone's <laughs> screaming. Um, but could you just, you know, describe from your vantage point, like what was it like watching Prince interact with the crowd? You know, Prince wasn't just a musician, artist, songwriter, whatever. He was an incredible entertainer. He knew how to move an audience. He knew how to play with their heads uh, and their emotions. I learned a lot from him. And a lot of what we did was, in, and it's affected my career and how I approach things, is that, you know, people always want what they can't have. And he knew that. I mean, that's how he lived his life. I mean, that's why he didn't do a lot of interviews. He knew how to be a, a rock star, a pop star. Mm. And there were things that, and, I, and I, I was always of the, mind, the same mindset because of the people I idolized at that time. It was like I only knew enough to continually be drawn to them, but I didn't know everything. And we would do things where we started shows off where he was a silhouette. It was never like you see him immediately. It was like a slow reveal. So it was like two openings. You know, people are screaming because they can see him, kind of. But then when they actually saw his face, it went up to another level on the uh, on the next song. So it was like he understood dynamics. A lot of it probably stemmed from the sexual side of him. He was very aware of all of that and how human beings are. So it was fun to work with him that way. Man, I wish I could go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be there. Well, I loved what you had told me before about kind of your experience becoming a de facto Chanhassen resident <laughs> and um, spending a lot of time out at the Lake Riley house. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, your memories of being in Chanhassen with Prince? What was that like? It, it was very different for me. I, growing up in Rhode Island and living near the ocean, uh, being in the middle of America, you know, not having the ocean anymore. <laughs> was a little, you know, strange to me, a little alien. Um, but there were the lakes, not the same thing as the ocean, but there were lakes. And it was kind of surreal because Chenhassen was like farmland at that point. And so it was kind of rural. And being in that environment with somebody like Prince was really interesting as far as how I absorbed life out there. I mean, Growing up in Rhode Island, there was a lot of Italians there, so I understood Italian food. That did not exist, and it was like, <laughs> it was weird. I mean, the, at that point in, in Minneapolis, food was terrible. Yeah. I mean, for me, for them, they were used to it. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it felt more like junk food heaven than actual real food. So, I mean, that, that affected me. But the time I spent in the house with him, when we actually uh, grew close to each other, and established a bond. 
where I, he, he would call me over and, and it just I would it would be just he and I in the house doing things you know talking about different music and different artists and influences and where he wanted to go musically and with the shows it was kind of a creative bonding an emotional bonding yeah I, I don't know if I said this last time, but we spent a few times watching David Lynch's movie Eraserhead uh, together. Oh, yes. Just the two of us. So, I mean, that, I didn't think it was surreal as it, looking back on it, the way I look at it now, it was a very surreal experience. Because, I mean, it's, it's a bizarre movie. It's engaging but disturbing at the same time. Right. <laughs> because it doesn't really tell a story. It's more emotional, abstract emotion. And... That really influenced me in a way that, you know, it started me to realize that you never want to be obvious about what you're trying to say. Mm. You give enough headroom for people to decide what it is. I don't know if he was actually doing that on purpose or it just happened to work out that that's what that movie meant to the both of us. Right. And that bonding that way, it was... You know, he even got me into the studio sometimes just doing some background noises and whatever. You know, it wasn't noise for me, but it was like he included me in some of the recording of songs and things. But it was more about me screaming and he would use that sound for something and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so can we hear your scream on a song? No, (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Or maybe. I have no idea. I didn't search for it. Wow. (laughs) That's funny because a couple people have told me that they would just be at the house and he would say like, can you come in here and hold this note down while I do this other thing? Yeah. And they would just like stand there and hold the keyboard. (laughs) Oh yeah. There was a lot of that. That's funny. I'm I'm sure I I know um, when I did that stuff, it wasn't like, oh, I got to hear it. It just, it didn't phase me. Hmm. It was fun. Yeah. But I was more, my head was in a different space than that. Sure. Something that I've been thinking about with 1999, the album and and the song, too, is that, um, you know, it's really one of the first moments that other people are credited on a Prince record and are singing on a Prince record. You know, even 1999, starting with not Prince's voice, you hear, you know, Jill Jones and Lisa and Des and... It's it's interesting to me to think about, you know, was this a time in his life where maybe he realized he did need more people, you know, to help him do what he was going to do? Yeah, I believe so. Um, but these are the people he was close to. I mean, it was his family. It was, it was also kind of like his uh, labyrinth of things that he could draw from. Yeah. You know, we were the ingredients that happened to be sitting on the shelf close by. (laughs) You're going in the pot. Yeah, you're going in the pot, buddy. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Well, is there anything else I haven't asked you about that comes to mind, you know, as we're getting ready for this big 1999 box set to come out and all this stuff? Looking back at all those years, I mean, it really was my formative years. Yeah. Um, And I was so deep into it that I didn't realize the magnitude of what it was. He and I were making this stuff together as far as live shows go. And he was, you know, he was my friend, but also my boss. Right. (laughs) And I didn't know any better. It was hard for me to see how, I, I knew it was amazing and an incredible artist, but I didn't realize how much until I started working with other artists. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it was, for me, I started at the top, and 
after working with him, everybody else was much easier. Mm. But it was funny because I'd always compare other artists to him, and I'd think, well, I mean, they're okay. They're good, and I like what they're doing, but they're not at his level. Yeah. And I'm sure if I, if I would have never said that to any of those artists that I've worked with, but I'm sure that they would agree. I mean, they, they did what they did really well because I've worked with a lot of incredible artists over the years, but he was the musician's musician. He was beyond anybody. And still, he's influenced so many people over the years. Yeah. So I was blessed that I started my life in this career mm. with him. That's amazing. Yeah, it really does seem like, you know, the more I learn about him, the more incredible it is <laughs> to think of just how much he did and how quickly and how just confident he was in his own vision. You know, I, I think that's pretty rare. Yeah, I mean, he, and he also, uh, I've said this many times before, is he pushed himself constantly so he would push everybody else because he pushed himself. Right. But he also could see in you your capabilities. Yeah, he wouldn't push people that didn't have that ability. He pushed you knowing that you weren't giving all that you could. Right. And, and I'm always so grateful for that. Well, Roy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me again. I just love listening to your memories. I can tell you just had such a sweet bond with Prince, so I really appreciate hearing them. Anytime. Take care and have a good day. All right. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the complete four-part series, Prince, the story of 1999, wherever you get your podcasts.